0: Today we are celebrating resurrection. We are celebrating that it's true. We are celebrating that Jesus rose from the grave. A couple of weeks ago, we walked through uh, what resurrection is and what happened. And I'd encourage you to, to if, you're, if you're a guest with us or missed some of those messages on our podcast, you can go back and listen to what the crucifixion meant and what the resurrection meant and what the ascension meant. And um, today, as we celebrate resurrection, as we celebrate the rising of the dead of Jesus Christ, there's been this question brewing in me uh, as we're leading up to today, and it's not for me if the resurrection happened. I believe the resurrection happened, and there's a lot of credible um, you know, proof and evidence and corroborating evidence around that, but one of the questions that was uh, kind of gnawing at me leading up to today is, is how has that changed people? In other words, can it change me? Can the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus himself change me? Or what difference does it mean in my life or in your life? Have you ever had a moment that you feel um, changed your life? Or maybe changed the direction of your life? Or changed um, the purpose of your life? Maybe it wasn't, uh, it could have been a small thing, it could have been a big thing. I remember my family moved to Montreal in the early 80s. And um, I, we, we moved from uh, Toronto, and we moved here in the early 80s, and and I've never looked back. I've just been here, and I was thinking, well, what if that would have never happened? Like, what would, you know, I would have been living in a boring city, for sure, I get that. But uh, just joking, if you're from Toronto, uh, we love Torontonians. But, um, you know, or the friends you choose, you know, the the people you choose to hang around with, you look back and say, what if that person, what if I would have never befriended that person or I would have never walked across, across the room, or I would have never grabbed a coffee with them after class. Maybe the school that you've gone to had, had an impact uh, on your life. Maybe one decision to stand up to something or somebody, something that changes the way you relate to the world. When I think about resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus, the question I have is, what? well, what change does it make in somebody's life? Or what's the possible change? And it's not just about one day. It's an ongoing relationship with Jesus for sure. But I, I was thinking about this one historical figure in the first century. And he's pretty common among people that are connected to a church. If you read the scriptures a little bit, it's someone you know, classically known as the Apostle Paul. But before his name was Paul, uh, he actually had another name. His name was Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, in this incredible letter in, in the New Testament, written by a historian named Luke... Um Luke writes the account of what happens after the resurrection. What happens to these people that they put their trust in Jesus, that start following Jesus, that really take his teachings seriously, that feel really empowered by God's very own spirit? What happens to them? And and one person he highlights for us in this in this biography of of really the church is this guy named Saul, who later is known as Paul. And the first time we meet this guy Saul, Literally, Luke says this, that he was giving murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In other words, he hated Christians. He hated Christians, and he would drag them off to prison, and it would be his joy to see them get tortured. That was his deal. One day, he was heading to a, um, a town, uh, in ancient Asia Minor, in a town called Damascus, And his purpose of heading to this town called Damascus was really to look for more Christians. He was looking for more Christians. Some of the the Jews who became Christians and some others used to hang around uh, some of the local synagogues of the time. And he was looking for these people, literally, Luke tells us, to drag them off to prison. But something happens on his walk to Damascus. While he's a little bit um, not totally yet at the city he has this encounter that changes his life. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus shows up, that this incredible moment takes place. This Luke describes it as a flash of light from heaven, but then in that moment, Saul hears this voice. He falls to the ground when this light flashes. He falls to the ground, and he hears this voice speaking to him, and this voice says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And somehow Saul in that moment discerns that this voice is not any ordinary voice. Somehow he recognizes that this voice is Jesus. And he actually responds and says, Lord, is that, you know, who are you, Lord? And then, this, then Jesus responds and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Here's this Huge, significant moment in this guy's life that he's gonna. Something's gonna change for him. What a surprise factor! I mean, Jesus. You know, Saul knew who Jesus was. He was uh, a well-known Jew. He was a Roman citizen. He 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 probably knew people that that were maybe at the scene of the crucifixion. Uh, He he heard the stories. Um, he w- he was there around this time period. So Paul, Saul has heard these stories, very likely really familiar with Jesus' resurrection. And like a normal, maybe a Jew at the time, he didn't believe that this really took place. He He would have maybe said it was a fabricated story or a made-up story or an exaggerated story or some kind of hoax. And because he was a Roman citizen, he was probably also feeling that sense of like, man, when Rome kills somebody, they want them dead. I'm sure he's dead. But in that moment, in that day, he is confronted with Jesus. And I can imagine how that changes Paul's plans. (laughs) Probably is like, I don't know about my job security anymore, uh, thinking maybe I need a career change. (laughs) Um, Maybe he's freaking out like, wow, okay, this is like this resurrected guy, I'm messing with his people and he's like alive, uh, maybe I should stop doing this. You know, I don't know what, what he's thinking but some unmistakably true thing for him for sure was that, okay, I think I need to reconsider this Jesus thing. I need to reconsider who he is and what he is and, and, and what really took place. Jesus showed up and talked to him. The resurrected Jesus kind of breaks through Reality speaks to Paul, well, Saul. And I'll just pause for a second. For some who struggle to believe that, the, the idea that, that one, Jesus rose from the dead. And a couple of weeks back, we just talked about how how impossible it would have been for his followers to act the way they did, decide the things they decided, struggle the way they struggled if this wasn't true. And there's so much amazing, even scholarly uh, research and talk about this, and in what this is. Is it a miracle? Yes. Is it humanly possible for any of us? We say scientifically, no. Did it happen? It seems like there's no other way to describe what could have happened but a physical resurrection. There was a guy in the early '70s. Uh, his name was Charles Colson. Colson, and maybe you've heard about this guy. He was he was involved. He was kind of one of. Um, President Nixon's top guys in the early '70s, and uh, they were involved in a real bad scandal back then called the Watergate scandal. Um, there was conspiracies going on, some deception going on, and Nixon's closest friends all fabricated this story to keep Nixon safe. And Chuck Colson was one of those people. Chuck Colson ended up being prosecuted and convicted, and he went to jail for his crime. Colson goes to prison, and crazy thing happens in prison. He starts to learn about Jesus. I mean, he, he knew about Jesus, but he starts to read Jesus' words and read the, the, the New Testament. And, and, and he really has an encounter with Christ and begins to follow Jesus. He comes out of prison, you know, an authentic Christ follower. He, he, he writes about it in a book called Born Again. Now Colson's a smart guy. I mean, even if if you knew him after he became a Christian, I mean his 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 thinking, his how he understands philosophy and culture and world economics, and 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 he just he did some amazing things. He ended up, um, you know, creating some uh, incredible organizations. One organization that helps uh, incarcerated people in the states that every year they would get uh, Christmas gifts and uh, then support for the families and ongoing care and nurture. I mean, God used him in an incredible way. to to really affect millions of people. But this smart guy who wasn't prone to believe a fabricated religion, he said this. I came across this quote this week. And he said this. He said, "I, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate, that scandal, proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and then they proclaimed it for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, or put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for more than three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Impossible. Now, that wasn't his only reason, but as he reflects back, he's like, okay, the resurrection is a real deal. Saul meets the resurrected Jesus that day. And he must deal with it. And here's the question. Does it change anything? Does it change him? Does it, does it matter in real life? Well, it did for Saul. And here's how. Here's a few things. And here's one line I, wanna, I want you to leave with today. And it's on the screen. is that resurrection changes how we relate to life. Resurrection changes how we relate to life. And we see it in the story of this guy named Saul. And I think it relates to our life and our modern world as well. And the first thing, Paul, that this does for Saul when he encounters Jesus is it changes how he relates to people. Changes how he relates to people. It's amazing the big shift that takes place in this guy's life. He hated, he hated these people who started following Jesus. He was bringing them into prison. He was allowing them to be tortured. He had this vitriol hate for these people, He also struggled as a Jew in that time even to to really intimately associate with non-Jews because it was just part of how he grew up. But after he meets Jesus, something happens. Something happens in him that starts to crush his prejudices, that starts to crush his hatred, that starts to crush his presuppositions. And he grow, what grows in him is a love, not just for Jesus, but a love for people. And we see it in his life over and over again. And God orchestrates this incredible meeting with this other Christian or Christ follower in Damascus named Ananias that would welcome Saul in. And here's the words that Ananias uses when he first sees Saul. Now imagine this guy, Ananias, who's a Christian in the town where Paul's going to beat Christians and bring them to prison. In fact, Luke tells us and Ananias is saying, like, I don't think I want to meet this guy. I mean, he's coming here to kill us. Why would I want to meet him? And there, you know, it's like God actually really impresses on Ananias' heart. Don't worry. Trust me. This is going to be okay. So when he meets Saul, these are the words he uses to him. He says, brother Saul... Brother Saul, he welcomes him in. He welcomes this guy who has initially complete hatred for them, but he opens the door and he welcomes Saul in. He welcomes him to this family of Christ followers. This message of love and embrace immediately hits Saul. And I love also what happens after this whole encounter. It says Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. In other words, the people he went off to drag out, the people he went off to bring to prison, he's having supper with and having conversations with them and late night chats and he's spending several days in their homes and hanging out with them. Something changes in Saul's life. His prejudice and hatred gets crushed. And this is just the beginning of what happens when the resurrected Jesus impacts a life and specifically Saul's life. It started to change him, but this gets multiplied into every follower of Jesus of the time and every small little church that pops up in a house or a, or a hall or, or something And it's growing all over Asia Minor. And here's the thing. See, the teachings of Jesus, that was the foundation for this love. But the resurrection of Jesus was the power for that love. See, we've been told a lot of things like, do this. This would be great. I think this would be a better way to live. Why don't you love your neighbor? Jesus said that. But how hard is it to do that? The teachings of Jesus are the foundation for that, but the resurrection of Jesus is the power, the empowerment to live that out. I was so blown away. Uh, I read about the Good Friday services in Egypt this last weekend. And as many of you know, there was some some bombs last week in two specific churches in Egypt, and uh, people were killed. Up to 45 people have been killed, and still others in the hospital. And I heard um, the words of one particular christian leader speaking on good friday that just blew me away this is what he said he said he said the, there's three things i want to tell the people who would want to hurt us or have plotted to hurt us what do you think he said first he said he said thank you not for hurting us but thank you because what took place has grown such a hunger for us in god that we were missing and then he said we forgive you, and he says, "We've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and we forgive you." And then he said, "Our Lord has taught us to pray for our enemies, and today we're praying for you." It's like, how, how does somebody do that? You can't base that on just moral teaching. You can't base that on some advice. You can't base that on saying, "Listen, if you really want to get over this difficult time, I think you should turn this way." I, it just doesn't happen. If there's something deeper in someone's life, in someone's heart, that empowers them to say that, to forgive, and to pray for their enemies. And this leads to another change in Saul's life that I think we can see in him and what happened after and ongoing as he grew in Jesus. It was not just his relation to people, but how he related to pain and how he related to problems. See, this guy Saul eventually became Paul, and he started many churches, and he saw amazing things. I mean, he saw people healed, he saw lives transformed, he saw r- relationships reconciled, uh, he saw God turn, you know, Roman soldiers' hearts around in incredible ways. Uh, he saw people miraculous himself miraculously um, freed from prison when, when like, it just couldn't have happened. He, he prayed for someone who rose from the dead. I mean, the guy eventually died, not like Jesus, but at that time he rose from the dead. So Paul saw stuff, right? And despite all that, Jesus didn't always fix his problems. Jesus didn't always just alleviate fully the issues that would cause him pain. And there's this one scene that in Paul's life, and he shares it in one of his letters where Paul, Paul describes now as Paul, he describes this thorn in his flesh, That he continually has. And he, it says, he says that I've asked God three times to remove this from me. Now we don't know if it's an emotional thorn, if it's a physical sickness, if it's a relational conflict, whatever the struggle is. It's just really hurting him, really bringing him down. And he says, Lord, if you could take this from me three times, he asked God to remove this thorn from his flesh or his side. And in that moment, Paul leans on something. He leans on Jesus' grace. There's two ways to talk about Jesus' grace. One is, Jesus' grace is for all of us. He, he's merciful towards us. Despite our, our, our sin or rebellion, Jesus loves us. He went to the cross for us. So that's the grace of God. He's merciful towards us. But grace is also seen in, in a label for strength. Often we say, God's grace will take you through this. God's grace will help you. It's like a tangible strength for those in Christ. And listen to what what Jesus tells Paul as he's praying this, Jesus says, and he, he senses, he hears Jesus tell him this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, Paul could have said, hey, Jesus, I mean, I've, we've healed some people together. <laughs> uh, you got me out of prison that evening, you know, doors opened up pretty quickly, had to be you. I mean, I like your grace, but can I have like a miracle in this moment? But Paul replies and he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. He sensed in that moment that Jesus's grace in his pain was even more powerful than Jesus just removing the pain. That's hard to do in our culture. That's something we wrestle with and struggle with. Paul found that in Christ. Paul's relationship with the resurrected Jesus wasn't just some pill for, for the miraculous to take place or for success to happen. Jesus became the source of strength for Paul, for Paul's pain and problems. And Paul wasn't just holding on to some feel good, nice, you know, um, uh, you know social media post advice. He was holding on to Jesus, the one he met. Holding on to his grace, his strength. See, good people or dead people can inspire us. But the resurrected Jesus actually empowers us. It's a big difference. We can read great authors and be inspired by people throughout history and have some great advice, but the resurrected Jesus actually empowers us when we walk through pain. And this final effect in Paul's life, I think, is one we all wrestle with. And it's how Paul began to relate to his possessions. How Paul related to his possessions. Man, that's one a real common tension in our culture, right? There's this whole psychology around why we shop and how we shop and how happy we get uh, when we shop and buy things. And there's equal evidence what happens when we lose stuff and how we feel. Some people get, like feel like there's a withdrawal when, when they lose something or can't get something. And and I can associate. I mean, I, I, I my family tells me all the time, you know, dad or Dave, like, yeah, I know, you, you know, you talk this frugal talk, but man, when you want to buy something, man, you get excited, you know? And so there's this, I get it, right? I, I I love the anticipation of something new it just it feels good and there's there's research around that like this whole idea of what I will buy I'll I'll look into it and and then think about that and like well should I get this one or that one and then and then the excitement that grows and all that kind of stuff and then when you buy it you feel like maybe you've accomplished the world and you just have something brand new to hold or wear or try or drive or something I know I'm more vain than you you guys are much better than me I get it I remember watching the movie Wall Street, the most recent one about the July, uh, the 2008 stock market crash. And uh, hi, yeah, I think she watched it too. And highlighting, <laughs> highlighting the story of this, one of the key hedge fund investors. And I remember um, watching how they depicted his struggle when the market crashed. I mean, he lost everything. And never forget the moment where he, because he was so down, he was so distraught, he took his life. And I remember thinking, and also with the story around it, like, his wife would have welcomed him home at night. They would have still sat down for supper. His friends would have still gone out for a coffee. There was people around him that loved him. His life wasn't over. But there was something that our culture kind of builds in us that says, if we lose everything or we don't have this or we don't have that, our life is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, Paul had this shift in how he relates to possessions. It didn't happen right away. And just because you discover and start following Jesus, all this stuff doesn't just happen right away. But we see it happening in his life. Look what he says to one group of people in the first century. He writes these words. And I believe he was even writing this letter out of prison. He wrote a lot of his letters in prison. And he writes this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's, the way Paul related to possessions was changed. And, and this is, he tells us why. He says, he says this later on. He says, my God has my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in who? In Christ Jesus. He had this complete trust, this complete hope, this complete rooted belief that God is the provider of all my needs, that God is going to take care of me, that God is with me, that that God is richer and, and more powerful and owns this whole thing. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, the Jesus he met on that road to Damascus, he recognized that that Jesus, the glory of God's riches in Jesus Christ is what he needs. And it changed how he related to his possessions. Paul was able to live in this sense of contentment, not, because, not just because he met the resurrected Jesus, but because he trusted him and now started to depend on him. Man, isn't that freeing? That's so freeing. That is so liberating. And in some ways, it's so much less complicated than the way we live our lives. Me included. So as you think about these things, I mean, there's so many ways that we could talk about this guy. But if you notice that the relevance here to life in these three things, I mean, think about the three things that how it changed, how Paul related are probably in the top ten things that we wrestle with as humans. The top ten things that that our world wrestles with: conflict with people, right? Um, How we how we fear, or pain and problems, and how we want to deal with it. How we relate to our possessions and. The material things around us, this constant hunger for possessions. When I, think about, when I think about this, this is like what we struggle with, what people struggle with, what our world struggle with, why there's even problems so often in culture and in society and in families. And, you know, my friend's a financial advisor. He says, Dave, you don't know how bad it's getting when I have to deal with inheritance issues. It's crazy. These brothers and sisters used to love each other and play together and their kids play together and all of a sudden, you know, there's $300,000 at stake and now they all hate each other. This is real. We struggle with these things. I love how relevant it is for us. And I want us to recognize, you know, meeting Jesus, following Jesus is not an escape of this world. He actually helps us engage our life. He makes us more human and enables us to engage life in a greater way. See, meeting Jesus gave Paul a greater love for people, a greater peace, right, in the middle of his pain, and a greater contentment independent of his possessions. Think about that. Meeting and following and growing in Christ increased Paul's love for people increased Paul's peace in the midst of difficulty and pain, increased his, his uh, dependence on God and decreased his independence on stuff. See, and I love this because the resurrection isn't only some promise for the future. It's a path for today. It starts today. It affects us today. It makes sense for us today. I'm going to ask the team to come up in a couple of moments And I want to just add to that line that I said before. You know, resurrection changes the way we relate to life. But I want to just add this next phrase. Resurrection changes how we relate to life because Jesus changes us. It's not just the the historical moment of the resurrection. It's it's not just the fact that Paul came to this realization. Yeah, the resurrection existed. It's because he met the resurrected Jesus and he started following the resurrected Jesus. And that Jesus changes So resurrection changes how we relate to people because Jesus changes us. So it no longer becomes a historical event. It becomes personal and real and a a reorientation of our lives to put our trust in this Jesus who died and rose from the grave and now invites us to follow him and have new life in him. And the same Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Jesus who lives in and through me. He discovered that. That was his decision and his movement forward. So as we, as we come to a close today and, and we want to end celebrating on the resurrection, my simple question to you, real simple question is, have you considered trusting in Jesus? And I know many of you say, yes, I have already or I, I have put my trust in Christ, but I just want to, just a broad, open question to all of us. Have we, have you considered Putting your ultimate trust in Jesus. Putting your ultimate trust in the one who died and rose from the grave. Because here's the thing, right? The temptation is to make this a real pragmatic decision. I want to be better with people. Uh, I'd like to have some more strength through my pain. Um, man, I'd love some distance from my possessions. Sweet. Let me take the Jesus pill. And that'll, that would be really pragmatic. That would be great. And if I can take one at lunch and one at supper, then... You know, I can just get through my day, and then that's the that's the temptation to make this pragmatic. Jesus isn't a isn't a pill or just advice you swallow and say, "Cool, now you can fix up parts of my life." Jesus, like what happened in paul's life was an overflow was a was a result was a, was, was something that took an outcome not because he sa- he he in that moment he thought oh great this is my way out i struggle with these things this is awesome no he met jesus he discovered who he was and you know what it was it wasn't about these things it wasn't about what would happen in his life he actually acknowledged that jesus is who he was the son of god the lord the messiah the crucified and risen Lord and Savior. That he really rose from the dead and that if it's really true, then Paul realizes I need him. I don't need the stuff that he's going to do in my life. I just need him. I know he's the one I need to follow. And as he was walking this way towards whatever career or direction or uh, posture and motivation in life, he meets Jesus and he's like, I'm just, I got to make a U-turn because this, he's the real deal. This wasn't a pragmatic choice for Paul. It was a, a revelation that Jesus really is the Lord of the universe who died and rose from the grave. Paul didn't embrace Jesus for the outcome. He started following him as Lord. And here's what it took, right? It actually took faith. It took a step of faith. Say, okay, I'm going I'm to put my faith in you. I believe in you. And here's the thing, even with all the credible evidence, even with all, you can do all the scholarly research and you can read the stories of others who've done that and come to this amazing conclusion or Charles Coulson, but it still requires faith. It still requires a step of faith to say, I believe you. I believe in you and I am going to follow you. That takes a step of faith. See, when Paul was struck that day with that light, Luke tells us that he falls to the ground and he's blinded. So, he, there, he, and Luke tells us three people help Paul finish the journey. So here's Paul, powerful guy. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to take care of these people, bring them back to prison. Now he's being led by three people, step by step, to finish his journey. I mean, even in that moment, Paul could have said, guys, this was a nice euphoric experience, but let's go back. He didn't, right? He's like, let's give me a step of faith. And he was guided by these three people. He was blinded. They had to lead him there. And when he finally meets this guy, I told you about Ananias. This is Ananias' prayer and words over Paul. And they're here on the screen. It's from that chapter in Acts 9. He says, Brother Saul. That's how he addresses him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me And here's this so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you think, just think about that. He's telling him, God has sent me here because he wants to not only give you your sight back, but he wants to fill you with his power and his strength. And then listen to Paul's immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I mean, this is maybe a fast-track kind of decision here. It's a very extraordinary moment, but I love the image here. Paul now sees fresh. Imagine when those scales fall off. He, he sees something new. He's like, okay, this is a new start. This is a new life. This is a different perspective. I need to, you know, Jesus, help me see things differently now. And he makes this decision for baptism which is this immersion in that time and even today it's an immersion of saying I'm going to immerse myself in this pool of water because as, I, as I, I die to myself and I get up out of the water Lord, I'm reflecting the life you want to give me. That was Paul's decision of faith when he did that. So my question to you as we close would you consider putting your trust in Jesus? The outcome's not going to look all like Paul's it could maybe have portions of it but something will be significant. Jesus will be shaping your heart and your life. Why don't we stand as we take a moment just to reflect on this. And and, um, for some of us who are celebrating faith and celebrating your walk with Christ today, it's amazing to, even for me, just to be reminded of this truth. But here's, for some of you here today, and maybe you just come on a day like this, or maybe you've been exploring with our church community for a while, here's some things I would love to encourage you to consider. One is, come back next week. (laughs) Just come back. Come back and and learn about who Jesus is. Next week we have a really cool guest speaker. His name is Curtis and he has an extraordinary experience with a young man named Matthew, one of his students and this, this Matthew guy's journey of faith very different than Paul's, but still a journey of faith. And he's going to come share it next week and share that story and teach a little bit on that. And I really encourage you to just come back, but not just for next week. But when I say come back is like explore. That's the next step. Discover, read the gospels, get to know who Jesus is. And maybe for some of you today, as we pray and we worship at the end here, you might just be saying, I need to say yes to Jesus. I've, I've seen, I've been revealed. I, I I get it. I know who he is. And maybe there's just been obstacles or you've created obstacles or you're you're hesitant to, but maybe today you're saying, I just, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to take a step of faith like Paul did and put my trust in him fully. And if that's you today, even as I pray right now, before we sing together, pray with me and invite Jesus to lead your life and tell him, I want to put my trust in you. Maybe some of you have been on a spiritual journey and you're saying, I want to take that step further like Paul did. I want to take the plunge in baptism. And today's an awesome day to decide that. We'd love to help you through that process. Let's pray before we end with a song and celebrate. Father, we, uh, you know, we stand back amazed at um, just this one, one person, one slice of this, your story of the millions of people that have experienced Jesus in a personal way. We thank you, God, for historians like Luke who wrote this down for us so we could read it and celebrate it and learn from it. And, and God, this incredible experience that Saul has. Oh God, as I look at my life, I recognize that even today, even as I follow Christ, there's still parts of me that Need your empowerment to love. Need your grace to walk through problems or pain. Need your contentment and joy to not be overly dependent on my stuff. But God, it's more than that. You. Lord, you long to shape our lives and our hearts and you invite us just like you invited Saul and many others and many stories and Chuck Colson and many here today and God, we we stand here being confronted with the the reality of the resurrected Jesus. Lord, if there's some here today that are making that step, Lord, may they pray and maybe if that's you, just pray with me right now. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I follow you. Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to die to the stuff that has been holding me down and leading me and keeping me away from you. And I give you everything. I want the life you have for me. Put my trust in you today. I want to follow and and learn and grow. Jesus' name, I pray this man